0: Calling all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Hello
1: Lime Ninjas. This is Lime Ninja Radio where we help you navigate confidently through your own personal Lime journey. Everybody's journey is different and a cookie cutter approach just won't work for Lime disease. You need ninja skills. I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and in this episode, number 119, we have Lyme expert and author, Sharon Rainey. Also with us in the studio is our certified show producer and the brains behind Lyme Ninja Radio, Aurora.
2: Hello, and in this episode, you will learn about Sharon Rainey's new book, Lyme Savvy, about changing the vocabulary around classifying Lyme disease, about scheduling downtime into your treatment protocol, and finally, how important it is to be emotionally prepared for your healing journey.
1: This was a fabulous interview. I can't wait to bring it to you. And before we do, I have four items I'd like to discuss. And number one is the opening music. We've recently got two more, I don't want to call them complaints, because, I mean, people with neuro Lyme have a lot of things to deal with. And the beginning of this podcast is a little bit jarring between the Morse code and the guy saying, calling all ninjas, calling all ninjas and then the music with the Asian theme is kind of twangy and I really understand how that can be jarring on people. And I'm trying to figure it out. There's no easy solution. Uh, the music that isn't jarring is so boring it'll put everybody to sleep and that's not really an option. And I'm trying to figure out the technical side of thing where you can hit the fast forward button on your iPod or ipod touch or phone or whatever and get it just to scroll forward right to the interview part of things so if we figure that out hopefully we'll be able to do that fairly soon and in the meantime we'll turn down the volume sums so it won't be quite as loud so that's that's number one we're working on that i hear you loud and clear the other thing is the Keto Challenge. I want to give a shout-out to Emily for joining the Keto Challenge. If you're interested in that, please just go on over to radio.com and you'll see a pop-up there for it. And we also have a new feature. We were so overwhelmed by the generosity of our listeners giving donations – during the Christmas season, the holiday season. Really, really appreciate that. So we've got a more permanent solution now. It's a subscribe button. So what we're asking is if you can afford $4 a month, go ahead on over to... LimeNinjaRadio.com, you'll see a donation, a tip jar there. And just go ahead and subscribe. It's a PayPal button. PayPal will deduct 4 bucks every month out of your credit card. And there are a couple levels above that if you have a little bit more money than 4 bucks. So that's essentially a dollar uh, podcast. If you can afford that, we'd really appreciate it. A little bit goes a long way to help defray our costs. And lastly we'll be giving away Sharon's book, Lime Savvy. So just go on over to LimeNinjaradio dot com and click on that podcast and you'll be able to enter for Sharon's book. Aurora? We have some
2: people All to right. thank Yeah, we do have some people to thank. So I just wanna just sit have A quick shout-out to Adriana and Matt for subscribing to Lime Ninja Radio. Thank you. Thank thank you you. guys so much. Yeah. Like we said, a little bit goes uh, goes a long way, and we really appreciate uh, your appreciation, I suppose. Well said. And (laughs) last week's winner of Dr. Ducharme's book, Lime Brain, was Garrett. So, That's actually two
1: weeks ago, right? It was two weeks ago because last week you interviewed me. I don't have a book yet, so that was two weeks ago. Garrett?
2: Oh, Dad, we need to get on that, don't we? we?
1: Yeah, well, (laughs) exactly. We'll put that on the to-do list, the back burner. I have to open up a health center first. You have to come back from California help me open up the health center. I'm I'm putting peer pressure on her. Uh, Garrett, we sent an email to you. If you haven't got it, please send back an email to me. McKay at LimeNinja.com. That's M-A-C-K-A-Y at com. If we don't hear from you, and I'll send out another email too, we're going to have to give the book to somebody else. We don't want to do that. Also, Stephanie, same thing for you. You won Connie Strasheim's new book, paradigms and new paradigms in Lyme disease and same thing if for some reason you get the email from us i sent a couple of them out please send an email to mckay at com. already aurora why don't you tell us a little bit more about today's guest
2: In 2009, Sharon Rainey was diagnosed with Bartonella and Babesia, which are co-infections of Lyme disease, but the final blow was becoming almost bedridden with back and knee pain. Four months later, after visiting a dozen different doctors, she found the right doctor who diagnosed her with late-stage chronic Lyme disease. Her passions include writing and educating the public about the proper diagnosis and treatment of Lyme disease. But she still finds time for reading, needlepoint, and knitting.
1: Thanks, Aurora. And here's my interview with Sharon Rainey. Hi, Sharon. This is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio.
0: Hey, how are you?
1: Terrific. So, what inspired you to write a book about Lyme disease?
0: Um a couple of things one was that um it had taken me so long to figure out what I had um it took me 30 years that by the time I got to the diagnosis I was so relieved and when I started reaching out to others for help um I actually sort of didn't get any positive response and so um I decided that I was going to write the book that I wished that I had when I was first diagnosed because there didn't seem to be anything out there to to kind of help patients get through the process.
1: Yes, that is so true. And this is not your first book, correct?
0: Correct. I wrote kind of a memoir um, back in 2010, and then earlier this year, I published uh, wrote and published a, a healing journal for. It's geared towards people who are chronically ill or have some kind of major or long-term illness. Um, it's different from any journal than I think most people have seen out there. Um, it's very easy and quick and short. You don't have to pour out your life story on the pages.
1: What's that called?
0: It's called The Best Part of My Day Healing Journal. Oh, very and cool. And it's available on CreateSpace and Amazon.
1: Okay, we'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes at the end. And then also tell me about your co-author, Dr. Mosayeni, how do you pronounce Um, that?
0: Mosayeni. Mosayeni, I was close, I was close, okay. (laughs) Um, Well, he's been my physician, my treating physician for seven years. Um, I found him through a neighbor who had also been seeing him and was having great success and um, I had applied to be a patient at a couple of other practices, but Dr. Moziani is the one that um, that I ended up seeing first. And he just explained thirty years worth of symptoms for me with one diagnosis, and it all made sense. Um, and he had a plan, so he treated me. And at the end of the the Bartonella treatment, um, I told him I wanted to write a book, and he said, "Well, I think we should do it together." So. That's kind of how the the uh, co-authoring started.
1: That's brilliant. It's funny. I consider Lyme disease diagnosed and really finding the right treatment uh, over the backyard fence. I keep using that phrase. And your story mm-hmm. of having a neighbor help you out, that seems how it works. It doesn't work through the standard medical channels. It happens over the backyard fence.
0: Yes, not at all, because in fact, I was originally diagnosed with lupus and my uncle called me and said, you don't have lupus, you have Lyme. And here's the, at that point, this was back in 2009, so Igenix was really the only lab doing accurate testing. And then he told me to find a Lyme literate medical doctor. So that's how I knew to look for somebody like Dr. Moviani. But yes, you're right. It's not you can't find it through the regular channels. you've got to it's sort of an underground network sometimes.
1: It, it totally is. Well, now with the Facebook and various other things, it's not underground totally, but it's not on the beaten path. You definitely have to wander off. Mm -hmm. Now, and, and and I just got a call the other day from a mom, and she's local to where I am in central New York, and she was a bit hysterical. Her daughter had been bit earlier in the year and had Lyme disease and was fortunate enough actually to get 30 days of antibiotics. But at that point, the local docs were like, you're done. And she's still having symptoms, but she's having thyroid type symptoms. So she's going down the thyroid path. And essentially, my counseling For her was find an LLMD pediatrician, and luckily we have one a couple hours away, and still go after the Lyme disease. Like, don't get stuck thinking it's just thyroid problems,
0: right? And that's one of the things we address in the book is talking about having a physician because this is a chronic illness, and it starts to encompass your entire body and all the systems, not just one. It may not be just one area, so. It's important to find a physician who's going to look at your adrenal function and your thyroid function and to see how they're all interconnected and then to be able to treat all of those.
1: It is a 3D chess game, isn't it? It's complicated, lots of moving Absolutely. parts. Now, that brings yeah. me – I really wanted to focus in on your book, and it's not really chapter four. It's part four, So, and the heading of that is Matching Patient, Physician, and Process." And you have a very interesting heading here is what to look for in a Lyme literate MD. And then the subheading is the questions I should have asked. So in hindsight, what would you wish you asked your LLMD or plural,
0: Ds? So yes, in section four, we talk about matching a patient, patient physician and treatment. And I talk about in there the questions that I did ask, but then I also cover a short list of questions that I probably should have asked, but I just didn't know any better at that point. And I think some of the, um, the big ones include, do you test for co-infections? And if you do, which labs do you use? You want to make sure your Lyme doctor is using the best labs that are possible.
1: And what do you and consider the best labs these days?
0: The best labs, in my opinion, are um, Galaxy Diagnostics, for Bartonella testing and Igenix and Fry Laboratories out in Arizona. And then Dr. Mosiani actually has his own microscopy lab, so he does some of the testing in-house nowadays that um, maybe not all Lyme literate physicians can do.
1: Those are great questions. It's The co-infections is such a big part of Lyme disease. I think at this point when after you've gone through the looking glass and you're a Lyme patient, when you say Lyme disease, mm-hmm. you automatically think Lyme and co-infections. And really, still to the medical world, they're very precise. They need to be precise. That's their job. So when they say Lyme disease, they're thinking about Borrelia and probably just Borrelia burgdorferi, not even miyamotai and some of the other variants on there. So it's, it's very important to bring in the co-infections there. So I think that's one a little disservice that we do ourselves in the community when we're not talking about tick-borne infections. And, you know, I mean, that's just a long phrase and not very sexy. Lyme disease is much Much better phrase, but we mean Mm -hmm. everything. We mean the the mold. We mean the toxins. We mean the co-infections. We mean everything. And for a physician, it doesn't mean that to them. We have to, we have to bridge the language. I think it's really our responsibility to, to be there. What do you have to say about that?
0: Well, I think that it's partially our responsibility, but honestly, I think it's the physician's responsibility to keep up on their educational credits and to find out what's going on in in the sciences and to not uh, remain close minded. Um, at least every week, I hear of somebody saying that they've heard from a physician: "There's no Lyme disease in Virginia. There's no Lyme disease in Alabama. There's no Lyme disease in Florida." Well, there is Lyme disease and they need to be aware of it and they need to be willing to test for it using the right tests and to use the ELISA Western blot test, which has been shown to be up to 60% inaccurate, is just ridiculous in my opinion. They need to think outside the box and really search when a person comes in with with a list of symptoms and things that are going on that instead of suggesting counseling or suggesting a specialist to to truly take a look at the whole patient and see if they can figure out what the big picture is.
1: Zoloft cures everything.
0: Uh, Yeah, I would probably say 80% of, um, you know, it it seems like 80% of Lyme patients have been suggested to go on antidepressants or to seek counseling at some point or another.
1: Yeah, it's it's absolutely criminal. I was at a conference sponsored by Mount Sinai Medical School, in New York City. And there were two groups uh, representing, or two, two PhDs representing two groups that were working on really sophisticated Lyme tests. And we know there's the other group out in Phoenix, uh, TGen, who's working on there. So we're about to get really good testing, in office testing, but it's a couple of years out. Anyway, it's happening. One of the researchers from these, this group stood up there and only as a scientist can say in a scientific conference, you know, it was essentially insulting everybody in the very nicest way. He said, you know, I used to be in the HIV research community and we sorted out our testing, you know, more than a decade ago. And then when I came over into the Lyme world, I was shocked that you're still using an ELISA test. He said, that technology is 40 years old.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, the thyroid test that most physicians use was created in 1963 and has never been updated or upgraded since. So I think that's part of why it's so important to go to a physician who understands the chronic disease process. And, um, you know, they're not having you fill out this little form of yes and no questions. It's um, It's much more all-encompassing and I think that's my frustration is that there are so few physicians out there willing to try and treat the whole patient. They just want to look at one problem and and mask it with some medication and then move on. Nobody's looking for causation. They're not looking for what's causing all the symptoms.
1: No, they're not there yet. Absolutely, I think there there are some good clinicians out there who are interested and curious and want to bury down. But the system's working against them too. They're so most physicians are so crushed for time. They're all employees of hospital groups at this point, so they're they're I mean, they're McDonald essentially like McDonald's employees. They're they're scripted what mm-hmm. they can do and what they're supposed to say in in those few minutes. And speaking of the whole patient, let's talk about finances a little bit. Cause this is something that even in my podcast, I tend to skip over quite a bit because we're all interested in just the how to do stuff and how to get better and the different kind of sexy stuff. But really, this all costs money. None of this is free.
0: It does. It does. And, and I think part of the problem is that people try to, um, I mean, because so much of it is not covered by. Um, insurance and so it's all out of pocket. You're trying to figure out any way to cut costs at any way possible. Um, the problem with that is that when you do, then you're not going to get the best medication. You're not going to get the best physician. You're not going to get the best treatment. And with a chronic illness like this, um, you really don't have much of a choice if you want to be able to get your health back at some point. Um, it you know it's even as simple as if you tend to buy. Um, vitamins and supplements uh, from, let's say, an over-the-counter place, uh, consumer reports and different reports have shown that you may get only 5% of what it says on the label in that each capsule. So you've got to go with high-grade supplements to help um, supplement your nutrition to help make the building bo- blocks for a healthy body. And I think the same is true for finding the physician. You've you've got, this is an investment. It's an investment in trying to get you well again, and it's not going to come cheaply.
1: Now, how did you and Dr. Lassie Valencia, right, Moziani, mm-hmm. decide where to start with your treatment?
0: Uh, at that point, I was one of the... Um, I was one of his first groups of patients that he was undergoing a test protocol with. Um, he thought he had it, but, you know, he needed test subjects to to work it out on. So there was a group, um, I think it was about 236 of us. And he explained the order in which he was going to do the medication. He was going to spend a couple of months first building up my immune system. Um, and then we would start on the treatment for the Bartonella. Um, we hit a, a couple of spots in my treatment. One was um, my son ended up getting really sick and testing CDC positive for Bartonella and he had to go into treatment kind of on a fast track. So we put my treatment on hold for a couple of, of months. And then there, the one month I was supposed to start a big treatment, I emotionally just wasn't ready for it. So he said, you know, If you're not ready for it, we don't do it because I need you on board 100%. So we just waited a couple of months and then I was ready. Um, But Dr. Mosiani had it all planned out. He knows what he wants to try, when, and how. And then he adjusts accordingly to if people are trying to, um, you know, if people have a certain response to the medication, um, you know, then he tries to, adjust as well to make it not such a tough, tough time.
1: So you've brought up something very interesting. You talked about deciding not to treat and putting things on a hold. I think Mm -hmm. really with Lyme disease and some of these other chronic illness, there's this rush to treat. And so can we talk a little bit more about that decision just to hold off a little bit? And do you feel it was the right decision?
0: Um, I absolutely think it was the right decision. I think it's very hard to have everybody going through treatment in a family at the same time. Uh. And you really don't want all three patients um, to be going through the hardest part of treatment. So if you can stagger treatment times within a family, I think it's much more beneficial for everyone. Um, But there are also times when, um, you know, some people come in and they test really positive, but they're not really that sick. Um, and you know, treatment is hard. (laughs) It's, it's hard and you're going to feel worse before you're going to feel better. So if you don't feel that bad to start with, I wouldn't necessarily treat right away. I would just, I have one friend who has 11 bands that tested positive, um, for Lyme and or co-infections, but he's one of the healthiest people I know. Mm -hmm. So he's on a few supplements, um and he's being followed but he's not going into you know he's not going to go into the big treatment program because his body's not calling for it yet i think it's just something you need to be aware of and then if you start to see some you know things happening in your body that um are becoming a struggle to deal with then i think treatment is warranted but i don't think just because you test positive you should necessarily treat
1: I ran into a chiropractor about a month ago who's been bit six times, has had a bullseye rash all six times, and is asymptomatic, zero symptoms. And wow. Exactly. We, in, the, in our side of the Lyme world, we hear about people who don't recover. But with any disease, there's always going to be people who are just either predisposed or genetically predisposed to to resist the Borrelia or at least can keep it at bay. And, uh, mm-hmm. we, we forget about those stories. And so there yep. is, you know, th- there are people and there's even uh, down at, uh, Tulane, they're doing some studies on persister cells and there's, uh, one, th- they're using a monkey model and there's one monkey who is asymptomatic, who tests completely for Lyme disease like your friend does and just has zero symptoms. So there is something wow. within the, Immune system that is able to handle Lyme disease. Uh, mm-hmm. So there is there's there's interesting stuff out there. There's interesting studies, for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you do to prepare for your appointment? Do you do anything special?
0: I do a few things. I think the biggest thing when preparing for each monthly appointment is to make sure that you've got an updated medication chart that's accurate. Um, And then to keep your status update form, as much as we Lyme patients need our physicians to (laughs) validate our experiences, I think it's really important to try and just keep track um, of what the primary symptoms were, what got worse and what got better, and then whatever else you want to talk about in the meeting. but. You know, if you go in there and you talk for 45 minutes, that doesn't give the physician much chance to, you know, figure out the next step for the next month. And I know people have a need to feel to share their experience with what's happened Um but honestly, our physicians already know. They see at least, you know, eight patients a day. (laughs) They know what the storyline is and they know what happens. It's just different characters in different places. And I think once they get the basics, um, you know, you can come in and say, well, this I think is working and these are some symptoms I'm still having. And then you work from there. But I'm very fortunate. I have a great Lyme literate physician who... I don't have to bring him any research. Um, He's already done it. I don't have to make suggestions of something I read off the internet that worked for one person out of 130. Um, (laughs) You know, he knows me pretty well. He knows how to treat this disease and I, it's my job to trust him and work with him as a team. But um, I definitely don't feel like I need to be the pack leader in the whole thing.
1: Yeah. That's wonderful. And speaking of that, do you, have you seen a counselor as with an opportunity to share all this, or how do you get your story out there or off your chest, um, I guess?
0: Off my chest, I would say I definitely have seen um, some counselors, both before and during treatment. Um, we were in marriage counseling for a while and even family therapy for a little while. You know, you definitely hit some bumps in the road and I think both the disease causes problems and I think recovery and, and just treatment can cause some problems. So we've been in different types of treatment in and out. Um, my father uh, died this past March unexpectedly. So I've been in grief counseling since then for that. So I'm a huge proponent of, of getting help when you need it. Um, and there are different kinds of help and. I I found honestly for me to make the most um, significant healing emotionally, uh, I realized that I had post traumatic stress disorder, and from being sick for all those years and the way that I was treated in the medical system, so I went through a treatment called EMDR, yes. which is used for a lot of soldiers. That was extremely helpful to me and so much faster than talk therapy. So right. we cover that. We cover both PTSD in the book, and then we also cover the different therapies that, that seem to be helpful for various patients.
1: That's terrific. Now, in between appointments, you, you use a phrase frenzied frustration. What do you mean by that?
0: Um, I think that's the time period between, um, it's between appointments and it's when you're just, um, swirling. I don't, (laughs) (laughs) and, and it's, uh, you know, it might be because you're on a new medication. It might be because you just feel like how long is this going to take? Um, it's just any time when that brain just starts swirling with why is this and why am I doing that? Um, and trying to just find some resolution and some peace of mind, I guess. And there are sometimes that that I forget, um, you know, things that can help to try and get through that part. And then, you know, some of it includes just writing a note to yourself after you've seen him and saying, okay, we agreed on this plan and we're going to do it and you're going to stick to it for the next month and just hang in there. I know today sucks, but tomorrow's going to get better. So I, I try to give some tangible tips, too, on on how to get through that. It, it's just a, I don't know, it's kind of a monkey mind sort of thing.
1: <laughs> so do you have another tip besides writing yourself a note?
0: Um, yeah, some people go pull weeds. Um, some people play with their dogs. Uh-huh. Um, some people journal or they watch a movie that's going to make them laugh. Um, sometimes it can be as simple as probably maybe needing to go rest and take a nap, uh, get your energy up, or you might need, you know, you might not have eaten all day. So you're a little bit hungry. Um, kind of just identifying what might help you the best to, to get some of that frustration and and anxiety out in a healthy way.
1: That's funny. I just had a patient the other day. She was, she's... Uh, just getting off cigarettes and using a support group. And she shared one of the techniques that they use for, for addicts. And it's a phrase called halt. And when you're struggling, they mm-hmm. say, take a look at this. It's you, you're probably hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Yes. And those are like the big four. Yes.
0: Yeah. That's a big one for just trying to. <clears throat> Yeah, just trying to kind of stay sane when when you feel like everything around you is insane.
1: Now, you also talk about the distinction between herxing and side effects and this was huge for me in my own practice before then because a lot of times you know we read something on the internet or as a friend has oh man i just started taking this supplement and it's the best thing since sliced bread and it's changed my life and i've you know got a new job and lost 80 pounds and uh and life is just ducky and then you start taking it and the opposite happens and then people say, oh, don't worry, you're just detoxing. You're just going through a herx. Stick with it. And you stick with it, and things don't get better. And then eventually you go off it, and most people feel some sort of guilt or I didn't do it right, I didn't stay with it long enough. But the truth is the supplement was poisoning them. So how do you determine between the two?
0: Well, I think when you're taking a medication that um – when a Herx is a response where you have an intensification of your existing symptoms, um, maybe a couple of new symptoms, but then after a period of time, your health actually improves from where you were before you started taking the medication. So is that now, two hours, name, 24
1: analogy. hours, a week?
0: Um it can be up to a week. Okay. Um, it's usually a couple of days. It's usually three or four days where you just feel really lousy and, and you think, oh, this isn't working. In fact, it's making me sicker. And and the problem is is that this is where patients make decisions on their own and they shouldn't be. Um, if the doctor has put you on a medication, he's put you on it for a reason. So if you're having a strong response to it, um, it's okay to call them. But if you also notice that, that you have this strong response and then a few days later you feel slightly better, that actually means the medication is working. What you don't want to do is you don't want to start a medication, start to feel symptoms, panic, and stop taking the medication because that could influence the ability to use that medication effectively at a later date for therapeutic use. So if you're considering stopping the medication, it's it's imperative that you contact your physician first and have a discussion about it. And sometimes my physician would say, okay, skip one day, but don't ever skip two days. Um, you know, if some if things were really harsh for me or there were other ways that he and I worked the treatment schedule and the protocol to make it more amenable for what was happening to me when I took the medication.
1: Right. And Dr. Mosiani, he also, you mentioned, started with building up your body first before going after the bacteria themselves. Is that correct?
0: Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Trying yes. to give
1: you a baseline of reserves and detox pathways cleared out and all that kind of stuff, correct?
0: Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, I, I have never had him in seven years of treatment for Bartonella first and now Babesia and protozoa, I have never had him start me full force on an antibiotic. He has always titrated me up um, on, on a medication, even on thyroid and adrenal medication. He titrates you up on the full dosage. He doesn't want you starting just like gangbusters. He wants your body to have time to adjust to this change.
1: And does he pulse antibiotics as well?
0: Um, You would probably have to talk to him about that. (laughs) Okay. He does different things for different patients. Okay. So I don't want to say that he does or doesn't. Okay. Um,
1: Did you pulse?
0: You know, um, I pulsed some antimicrobials. Okay. I never pulsed antibiotics.
1: Yep. It's just curious that some physicians do, some don't, and there's no... Mm -hmm. hard and fast rule. I'm just trying to track down what the thinking is. Well, I know what the thinking is. The thinking is that you allow the bacteria to come out of their persister state and then attack them again. Uh, And then some feel that's necessary and some feel, no, we really want to keep the levels up and and keep going after them.
0: That is one of the things that I liked about being with Dr. Mosiani and his care was that he knows his pharmacology So he knows every drug, when it reaches its peak, how long it lasts there. So he is always very careful about administering the medications at certain times of the day to get the peak response from each medication and make sure they're interacting together if he's doing more than one to make sure they're interacting together at the right time.
1: You know, that's so interesting. Don't,
0: I don't think all physicians have that knowledge base.
1: No, it's so true. And the body clock part of this is just being looked at. There was a study that came out, I believe it was released over the summer, and it talked about the effectiveness of flu vaccinations. And if you got it, I think it was 10 a.m., if you got it at 10 a.m. rather than in the afternoon, it was much more effective. And the exact mechanisms, they don't know, but they're starting to find out it matters. Timing matters. The body is not Hmm. uh, an assembly line that's going 24 hours doing the same thing all the time. Functions are up-regulating, down-regulating, switching off, resting. We're a complex, dynamic organism. And timing matters a lot. Yeah. And that doesn't even – fit into the equation, our individuality. That's just the timing through the day. And then particularly for women, the timing through the month, the timing for the month Correct. matters as well, too. Correct. The body is not the same on day 14 of a cycle as it is on day 28.
0: Hmm. That's absolutely true. And I, I think that's uh, part of why it's so hard for patients to even find and the effective treatment because you know everybody wants what's what's the secret how did you heal and
1: you one know, step at a time
0: <laughs> yeah there's no there's no one thing i did there's no one length of time i did it for um even within my own family we all had bartonella um my son had three strains i had two and my husband had one we all had three different treatment protocols, even though we were with the same doctor and we all had the same disease generally. But we all presented differently and he needed to treat us differently because the the host of the germ responds on an individual basis. And so you can't, there's no one size fits all for this disease and for the treatment.
1: I was just reading an article about the connection between Parkinson's and I forget the other disease. It's begins with a G and it's got like a French name to it. So forgive me for forgetting oh, that.
0: Oh, syndrome, probably.
1: No, it wasn't that. It was another one I yeah. had never – it's extremely rare. It affects mostly
0: hmm.
1: people with Jewish descent, middle uh, European Jewish descent. It's 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 pretty rare, like hmm. one in 400,000. But anyway, what the connection – and then they were beginning to connect it to other uh, cognitive defects later on in life. So it's the same gene – on, on the genetic side of things, but it just depends where the defect is on the gene. So there's what they're finding, and they have a special name for it again, I forget this name too, it's like uh, uh, a lenic diseases. So it's all part of the same defect on a certain enzyme. But depending on where the defect happens, you can get this whole range of symptoms. And so exactly wow. what you're saying, science is beginning. This is Chinese medicine. It's like Chinese medicine deals with patterns of diseases. And they've put together mm-hmm. these patterns over hundreds and hundreds of years. And so they say things like, uh, your knees are connected to losing hair, you know, knee pain. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's just the way it is. And then over the years in, in, in taking a look at things, you find funny connections in the science that starts to say, well, here's the reason why those two are related. And we're – like science is catching up. Instead of doing the one disease, one cause, one vector, one treatment, it's, we're starting to look at patterns. And that's where this is getting excited, exciting because mm-hmm. exactly what you said. Here it is, your family – right and everybody's got completely different symptomatology yet the fundamental is 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 the same it's like it starts at the same mm-hmm. base and i'm sure you got different yep. treatments too you can't just do a, a single treatment yes
0: mm-hmm. exactly exactly yeah brilliant yeah that's why there's no magic healing and i think that's why uh it's important that everybody uh, everyone be respective of others healing journals journeys i don't think that it's um Again, it's individualized, customized, and, you know, something may not have worked for me, but it worked for somebody else. And if it worked for them, that's great. I, you know, I, I don't, um, I think the judgment needs to come out of each other's um, treatment protocols and trying to tell people, oh, that's the wrong one. You need to be on this. Right. I think um, everybody has a different journey.
1: And speaking of journeys, was there a turning point in your journey where all of a sudden, instead of continuing a downward drift, you know, things either stabilized or started turning up? Do you remember a moment like that?
0: I do. It was uh, six months into treatment. I really didn't believe that I was going to get better yet. (laughs) Um, I hadn't felt better yet. And, um, And then I had a good day. Wow! I had a day where I didn't have much pain, I had didn't have much brain fog, I had the energy that I needed to get through the day. It was just a good day, and there was no rhyme or reason for it necessarily, but um, Dr. Mosiani always says that one good day, even one good hour, is um, that symbol for you that your body can and will heal fully. Mm-hmm that if you had an hour of that that's in there in your body and we just have to get the inflammation down and the bacteria killed off and, you know, take care of a few things. But it's there, and it's there for you to to remember and kind of keep that, you know, sort of as your goal as you go through the not-so-great days.
1: And then I'm assuming at this point in time that you have more of those good days than the bad days. Is that a good assumption listening to you, or am I wrong?
0: Um, I definitely have, I'm definitely better off than I was a few years ago. Um, I'm still battling this uh, Babesia and the Protozoa, which at this time are not considered curable, but they're definitely manageable. Um, I had a very, very strong reaction to every single antimicrobial I've taken. So he's trying to, to look at some new routes, but kind of in the middle of this, as I mentioned, my dad had died unexpectedly. And the, the stress that goes on to the body when the death of a parent or a loved one happens can be tremendous. And so one of the things I also value about Dr. Moziani is he knows when to put a patient on hold for treatment. And when you have something like that, I, I tried to, to get back into treatment a few months later, and I just couldn't take it. I couldn't handle it. And so he's very attuned to that and able to say, okay, we're just going to keep building you on the supplements and kind of, we're going to do some of the gentler things that we can do until, you know, my body's ready to get back into action on that.
1: That's such a wonderful, but
0: I definitely have better days. Yeah. They're not, they're not all great. I don't work a, I still can't work a full eight hour day, um, but I can work a six hour day. So, so I work a six hour day.
1: That's fabulous. It's such a good reminder. Are, are you familiar with Wendell Berry, the author and poet?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: One of the things he likes to point out, he's a philosopher, social critic, and, and, and English was an English teacher at a University of Kentucky, maybe. Anyway, somewhere down th- that way. And he says, you know, in this modern era where we do so much mental work, we forget that there are limits, on what we can do he said if you're a farmer you know if you've put out put up a thousand bales of hay that afternoon at some point your muscles just can't lift another bale it doesn't matter what you mm-hmm. want to do he said there are there are limits and we forget this and what you're talking about is yeah there's are there are limits there's only so much stress and life that we can fit into ourselves and people have different you know, volumes that they can handle. Some people can have more, some people less. And it's important to know and honor and respect those different things. But at some point there's an enough and your message of it's okay to pause for a little bit or even back off for a little bit, I think is very, very important.
0: I I think you're right. I think it's, um, it's essential and I, it, it comes down to acceptance, you know, acceptance of this disease, acceptance of where you are, Um, acceptance of your life circumstances. Most of us come in to treatment, not in the best condition mentally, mentally, physically, or spiritually. Um, And it takes time, but it's a, it's honestly, it's a process of learning to love. And most of all, to love yourself before others. And many of us are not taught that. And I think once you can respect yourself and love yourself and embrace the imperfections and, and just work with what you have instead of, um, instead of complaining or wishing or beating yourself up, um, just work with what you have and move forward from there. But it, you know, it took me years. It took me, this was not something I figured out overnight and, Uh, You know, it took me a while to figure it out and work it out and then be able to write it down. But I I think that's in the end what has gotten me to where I am and what keeps me on the healing path and not sliding backwards.
1: That's so beautifully put. And I especially like the phrase, love yourself first. I think it gets confused that if I love myself first, I'm loving myself instead. Of my family instead of other people around me. It's not instead. It's first. It's the old Mm -hmm. tired, you know, the airplanes going down and you reach for the mask, the oxygen mask yourself before you help the child. You know, it's it's that that old hackneyed phrase, but it's 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 hackneyed, but it's true. Like if you don't love yourself, you can't love anybody else. You really can't. Right. Sharon, thank you so much. You've been incredibly generous with your Friday afternoon. I really appreciate it. Let's help people find your book. What What are your web addresses? How can they find the book?
0: You can find the book. Uh, you can find both books, The Healing Journal and Lime Savvy, on Amazon.com. And you can also go to LimeSavvy.com. And I have uh, a link there. And you can also go to Sharon Rainey. Dot .com and that's s h a r o n r a i n e y.com. And so if you go to any one of those, you can you'll find it and be able to order it.
1: Brilliant. And we'll be sure to have all those links up on the show notes for your episode. Sharon, thank you so much.
0: All right, thank you. Take care.
1: All right. Bye-bye.
2: All right. Bye. It's always a pleasure to edit these these conversations where the conversation just flows, you know. Uh, there are some times where I have to edit quite a few bits, but this time I could uh, – it was really, really – I got a preview into f- – for the episode. And one of the things that I really – I thought you brought – that you and Sharon brought up That's that I thought was really important to read it – to reiterate was how the body doesn't is in constant flux. It doesn't stay the same and how good doctors can figure out how to factor in those treatments into those body cycles so that they'll be most effective.
1: There's an old saying that goes, you never step in the same river twice. And that really goes true, holds true for healthcare. And particularly Lyme disease, so much can change from day to day and the damage can accumulate or the nutrient depletions can accumulate or all the above or a new virus can be added in or a, a new mental stress or emotional stress. So there is so much that changes from day to day. And just the nature of Lyme itself and the co-infections, the 30-day cycles, you add that in with a person's own hormonal cycles and daily cycles. And it's it's, as Bob Miller says, a 3D chess game played underwater. It's incredibly difficult. And That also – this reminded me when I was speaking with Sharon about Chad Edwards. That was that interview that got cut short because we got the bad news about uh, your grandmother that day. But he he, – we had a wonderful chat with Dr. Edwards and he was talking about traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress disorder. And they really dovetail in with this Conversation with Sharon very, very well. And we'll put a link to that interview on the show notes there. So I recommend really go check out Dr. Chad Edwards' interview that we did a couple weeks ago, number 109. So 10, wow, that's 10 weeks ago already. Amazing. <laughs> and I'd like to give a special yes, shout do. out to Emily who joined the Keto Challenge last week. So Emily, thanks for joining us. We welcome you in the Keto Challenge and very interested to hear what the results are, adding exogenous ketones into your Lyme protocol. We'd love to hear it. And Aurora, why don't you read us that uh, that email that we got a couple weeks ago?
2: Yes, and this really sums up how – how well ketones can work, these exogenous ketones. Actually, before you get
1: started, hang on. Before you get started, we both are sipping on our ketones right now because we're both sleep-deprived after the New Year's, staying (laughs) up late. And Aurora was out at the local casino somewhere out in San Diego. I wasn't. However, I'm still sleep-deprived. And it's getting a little bit – it's a little bit late in the evening for me. And so we both added our extra – Keto OS to make sure that our brains were functioning while we were recording this. Anyway, so go ahead and read that email that we got.
2: Of course. So it says, I just took my first dose of ketones. I used 16 ounces of water and drank only 8 ounces, saving the rest for the evening sometime. I immediately... Even before finishing the eight ounces, felt my vision clearing and energy getting stronger. I could stand up better. I will not go into that now. I just wanted to give you a short report.
1: Thanks for reading that, Aurora. And to enter the Keto Challenge, just go over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and you'll see a splash screen. Just click on the Learn More button and I'll take you to more information about the Keto Challenge. Also at com, you will see the subscribe button there. And, Aurora, why don't you tell people if they're interested in joining our free contest for Sharon Rainey's book, Lime Savvy, what they need to do.
2: Yes. uh, Yes. enter the contest to win Lime Savvy, just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and if you click on this podcast, you will see where to enter so that you can win and get this great book.
1: Yep, so just go on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com click on the podcast interview with Sharon Rainey and you will see a pop-up that will give you the information you need to enter to win the book. And If you happen to be listening to this a year after the interview or six months after the interview, just go on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com, click the most recent interview, and fair chance there'll be a contest associated with that interview as well, especially if it's an author. So we've got that covered, and we're just about ready to wrap things up, Aurora, and you longtime Lime Ninjas. You know that this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the
2: day. Did you know part of a ninja's morning routine is to unscramble the eggs? for considering any new treatment.